warm welcome to you all. Hope you'll thoroughly enjoy our program. Well, <laughs> just say, don't forget, just hint of professionalism. Just a hint. So, yeah, right. We haven't had that yet. Not even the hint. No, no. <laughs> it always makes me smile when I hear you saying that, and I'm thinking, well, not on the episodes I'm on. I don't know about anybody else. Certainly, but, uh, certainly in the run-up to the intro as well. Um, <laughs> just delivering the intro is not. No way. This is the bit I hate. I know, that's why I try and throw you off. I mean, I, I, why yeah. I try to uh, reassure you. I can't see your face, but I can feel your eyes burning into the back of my neck at the moment. Um, <laughs> that's just that draft, don't worry. It is, that's that cold chill I'm getting from the window. <laughs> it's Real Britannia, a very British podcast about very British movies. If you know, sometimes, Stephen, there is just the occasional hint of professionalism. Hi, mate, how you doing? I'm not too bad. I'm I'm still waiting for that that hint. But, yes, um, yeah, thirty episodes maybe. in, we haven't found it yet. Scott here, Stephen up in York. How are we doing, sir? All good? Oh yes, doing well, mate. Yes. How about yourself? Yes, yes. Um, just laughing that since we really recorded last time, you know, I'm I'm getting into the swing of turning fifty, and uh, everything's going wrong. I've suddenly become old. No, it's, it's falling apart a little bit, isn't it? It is, yeah. Fifty, I would recommend fifty to anybody. It is, it is you know, it's not as daunting as you know, because you're not that far off, to be honest. No, I'm not, and and to be honest, the alternative to not reaching fifty, I think, is worse. Exactly. <laughs> so I'm gonna give it. I'm intending to give it a go. At least, okay. yeah, for, at least for a year, for, and then uh, see if you like it. I'll, I'll, I'll give you some tips along the way to help you survive, mate. Because at the moment I'm failing miserably. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's probably a podcast in itself. How to do fifty? Yeah. <laughs> well, as I said to um, the guys on my the other podcast, the Stinking Paws, fifty is the new forty nine. You know, that's how I'm looking at it. <laughs> just yeah. just another year older. So today we are going to be talking. All things Mike Lee, but in particular, one movie which you have selected today, sir, which is? It is High Hopes from uh, 1988. Yeah, before we go into the review proper, let's just have a little chat about Mike Lee. This isn't his first movie, is it? That this... not, not as such, no. I mean, he did some TV movies and um, some other sort of um, less noticed that weren't really, uh, he hadn't quite sort of established himself or uh, really got into the run of actually being Mike Lee as such. Yeah. Um, so this is really the, the first movie that has him doing what he, he's continued to do and has perfected as a, a style and um, uh, almost his own genre sort of thing. So th- this was why I picked this one has been the starting point with him 
rather than some of the earlier stuff that he'd done, which, you know, does have some merit in it. Yeah. But I don't didn't think it was worthy enough for the starting point, really. No. Uh, I am a fan of, of Mike Lee, so um, that's, that's something I, I have to actually um, reveal at this point rather than um, try and pretend I'm talking objectively. <laughs> well, there was only one other theatrical release prior to this, and this was 17 years before. Yes, in the uh, early 70s, yeah. Yeah, and then famously we get, which is my favourite period of Mike Lee, which is the BBC drama Mike Lee, where you get Nuts in May and Abigail's Party. And I think I read somewhere that the problem with Mike Lee trying to do something cinematically was that he couldn't get the financial backing because of the way he works with regard to scripts. You know, the producers were always frightened that there was always an unfinished script, but his argument would be, well, they are are finished. They're finished in my head. And then I pass it over to my, my crew and my cast and it develops. That's all it is, he says. It's it, that the script is there. We know what we're doing. We just don't know how we're going to get there and where it's going to go. And, and quite rightly, producers were quite frightened of that. But I don't think that they're that bothered about taking a chance nowadays because they know he can deliver. He gets away with it more now because he's established that uh, he can actually do it. Um, his his methodology is, you know, it's. It's, it's a method director rather than a method actor, really. It's, yes. it's that weird thing where he has sort of the outline of what he, he sees as been the the overall maybe story arc, and then he start, has some starting points, but as it improvises within the actual rehearsals, the quality of the actors that he picks from, yep. they, they, they inhabit the roles. That's what they do. They yeah. don't just play the part and, and say the lines that are given to them and, and pull the certain faces that are needed. They actually embody those roles and actually flesh out that. And he actually they bounce off each other and he works that up. And it's a it, it's a, a work in progress at the point at which they start filming in that way, mm. rather than it being something that is you know Hitchcockian where everything is already storyboarded out and and every little nuance is already detailed and that's you know because Hitchcock said you know he, he, at the point at which he started rec- doing the film actually filming it he'd lost interest because he'd already done all the interesting right. bit with, with storyboarding and such yeah. whereas Mike Lee does all that as part of the the rehearsals and the improvisation when they actually come to record that's all is all down there but so there's no improvisation that goes on at the point at which they're in front of the camera as such but it's it is scary for um you know people who are financing films to come up with money to put into a film where he said himself if he says what a film is about one of his films Mm. people people just go what (laughs) <laughs> what's po- what, you know, either what's the point in that, or, or and you know, trying yeah. to it, it's just the description of what happens in a film, because it's not a, it's usually it doesn't have a, a start, a middle, and an end. There's usually it's just these snapshots mm. of what's going on in people's lives, and the, there isn't an ending as such. There isn't a, a, a conclusion. So it's difficult for him to to sell this. So he's got used to working with the more restricted budget, the sort of ceiling on the budget, which is higher now, as you say. Now he's he's 
proved himself and yeah. winning all sorts of awards and, and such like. But the people he picks, that's the other thing that I think um, he won't he won't actually start telling people when he's looking for financing about who's going to be in the film. And he won't have it dictated to him about who's going to be in the film either. So that also shapes how well it is, easy it is for him to be able to get the financing, I think, for films. Um, but you look at the people he's worked with. I mean, it's it's not necessarily a lot of names that people outside the UK will necessarily um, know the names of all the time. But some incredible talent. Yeah. I mean, we said about Ken Loach previously when we were discussing Kez that Ken Loach has this little stable of actors that he'll occasionally dip into and use in other movies quite regularly. It's it's the same here with with Mike yeah. Lee. I mean Martin, but uh, sorry, Philip Jackson who plays Martin, um, yes. the brother-in-law. I mean I'm not going to go too much into specifics about this particular movie, but he's in Peter Lou, which comes out this year. Yeah, it's his new movie. So still thirty years on, he's using that same pool of talent. Um, and Phil, Timothy Spall. Oh, I mean, of course, that, regular, some, you know, yeah, yeah, some somebody who um, it's probably been in combination of of him and uh, Leslie Manville have probably been in most films, uh, Mike Lee films with him. But yeah, um, Timothy Spall, who at one point was only really known for um, playing the Brummy on Al's Vida's in, uh, <laughs> true, yeah, um, and then was picked up by Mike Lee, and and uh, to some extent, I think that the the beauty of Timothy Spall's career was the fact that he, he he has been shown by Mike Lee to be such a high quality actor that that's allowed him to go on to the other things that he's gone on to. Yeah. And, but he, there are some actors that just fit with Mike Lee's way of working. Yeah, could you imagine like watching Alfie own Pet back in the early eighties and someone was to turn to you and say, "See him? I think his name was Neville. No, was it Neville? Yeah, 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 yeah." Yeah. He's going to go on and he's going to play the artist Turner and, and Albert Pierpoint, you know, and things like that. <laughs> it's like, well, really? But like you said, because Mike Lee has, it's not this unique way of working. I don't think his sort of improvisation thing is unique. There's a lot of directors that, that use that sort of formula. But because he lets his cast have their input and they're more relaxed because they're not, stuck to fixed lines you know they can adapt they can improvise they can become the characters as you say it makes them become better actors I'm, I'm i'm convinced of that i mean look at jane horrocks was in life is sweet along with timothy spall as well as yeah. you know a lot of other people um we, we sort of had established actors and actresses by this point such as jim broadbent was in that and alison steadman his wife you know but these younger actors, he, he, you know, he develops those as well. And they go on to, you know, incredible success following their work with him. So, yeah, fair play. Mm. It is amazing that he, you know, he picks that talent and it's the people who, you can tell by the fact that the, the people who return to work with him, um, even when they've actually got more notice elsewhere and have been offered bigger budget films and things, they'll still return to work with him. And I imagine they take a pay cut to do so. Yes. Um, it shows that, they get something out of it. They're obviously feeling that that, that um, ability they have to um, inhabit the characters and actually be part of what the character's development is, I think must must make them feel like not just that their, their creative um, role is to portray, 
that they've got more to it. They're actually feeling more emboldened and that they're feeling more valued. Um, so it's, it is, um, you know, it's not the only one that does it, but he's the most um, well-known proponent of oh, it to actually so. get the actors to actually do this. And um, it's, you know, the type of films that he does, it's usually, you know, the working class ones uh, about, but it involves class usually, you know, showing one juxtaposed to another often. Um, it's not a propagandist thing like Clint, Ken Loach does, where it's, you know, it's <laughs> a very obvious hat on its sleeve that it's, you know, it's uh, giving you a message. But um, there are the there are the critiques of, of class and, and of, of family life and, and such in there. But it very rarely is a you know a, a, an easy narrative that you can just explain what a film is about because it it if you the best you can do is usually try to encapsulate it within one or two sentences, which still end up being leaving you. No, none the wiser about what the film's actually about, to be perfectly honest. There's a couple um, of his movies that you can actually, you know, if somebody was to ask you what the plot was, you could actually, you could say what the plot of Vera Drake was, or say Secrets and Lies to a certain degree. But this one, Naked, Life is Sweet, I think, like you say, you try and sell this to somebody. It's, it, I read somewhere, somebody just called it, it's a slice of life drama. Yeah. But it's it's more than that as well because it's just like well you know like you say who's going to want to watch a movie about a family over the course of a day or two days whatever it is I could sit at home and do that but there's so much more to it I mean we'll talk about that in depth I think when we get through to the review but <laughs> but, but the the thing is the idea of of sitting there and just watching people living their lives mm. um, I mean you know without there being the big um, dramatic sweeps that you get in soap operas where there's people <laughs> being murdered and plane crashes and yeah. all these kind of things, serial killers and etc. But people now, we've, we've now have the advent of reality TV where people are just watching people like themselves, you know. We, well, this, this is they, my, my, the funniest thing that I think about this whole thing is this, what's this program, Gogglebox? People yeah, watching people, people watching TV. Yeah. That's, it's amazing. There's people sat watching other people watching TV, and it's like, why did why did you just set up a mirror next to your TV? Uh, and it just it's astounding. So this so the idea of watching people just living a life mm. is is something obviously that, that people are, are willing to do, and people like us who can actually pick up that there's more to it than yes, yes. just just that. There's actually there are bits and there, there are questions that are raised. There are discussion points about what what this means and what that means and how that interaction says something about that or society or whatever. There's all these kind of things you can get into, particularly if you want to be um, quite um, dissecting of films, which we don't get uh, massively into. Um, we skirt over a lot of the time because that's not what we're we're about, but. We can see that. We can see these elements in there. Yeah. And in, but just enjoy, like you say, a slice of life of ordinary people, really, who maybe slightly caricatured, but only slightly, really, because you know you see, you know, people who are even more caricatures of, well, <laughs> of working class people or upper middle class people or or whatever. Um, remind so me, remind it, me of that comment later because I read something about somebody actually made a point about 
oh, some of the some of the characters in this are very cartoon like and caricature. But there was a there was a perfect response to that, and I'll, I'll go into that when we do the main review. Let's take a short break. We're going to be back after this with our review of High Hopes. So what you've got to learn, Cyril, is you've got to speculate to accumulate. Accumulate what? Money. What's your weekly turnover? I mean, what the boss makes. No, no, what you make. You mind your own business. Well, you can trust me. Who am I going to tell? I earn enough. I bet you don't. You all right, Mrs Bender? I'm still alive. And kicking. I'll tell you what I'm going to do, Cyril. I'm going to give you a piece of professional advice. Go on. Your best bet is to form yourself a little company. What for? Well, you let all the other wallies do the dirty work and you sit in Happy Valley collecting the dosh. I wouldn't do that on principle. How do you mean? <laughs> oh, look, I'm being serious. Business is booming. They all need delivery, boys. What are you waiting for? It ain't everybody's purpose in life to accumulate money. Ah, out of order, Cyril. I'll tell you something free of charge. Every man has his price. We ain't all like you. I know you ain't all like me. Very few are. He's in a dead-end job. What you gonna be doing when you're 45, 50? You won't want to be schlepping around the streets or weathers on a moped all day and after night. You gotta think ahead. I'll manage. Where do you think this lot come from? Off the back of a lorry. <laughs> you ain't as stupid as you look, are you? Shame I can't say the same about you, innit? You've got a lot to learn, Cyril. High Hopes, released in 1988 in the UK, directed, as we said, of course, by Mike Lee, starring Phil Davis, Ruth Sheen, Edna Dore, Philip Jackson, Leslie Manville, Heather Tobias, David Bamber. Synopsis, please, sir. It's a few days in the life of Cyril and Shirley, a working-class couple in London during the late 80s. Uh, His mother, whose dementia is quickly progressing, and the mum's ghastly upper-middle-class neighbours, and also Cyril's pretentious sister and her ghastly philandering husband. (laughs) It sounds like a soap opera, a story of three families. It it does, yeah. Um, Far from it, though, isn't it? Yeah, but... You know what is the what is the plot line? What happens? There isn't and, a plot. You know, it's it's there's a birthday in there. There's discussions about having having a birth of their own child or not. Yep. Um, there's some lost keys and there's a, <laughs> a, a lost man child. Oh um, God, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and um, some discussions about Karl Marx. There you go. That's high uh, hopes. Uh, yeah, yeah. So there you go. So thanks for listening, folks. Yeah. And uh, we'll see you uh, next week. <laughs> <laughs> It's bizarre, isn't it? Because this is this is Mike Lee all over, as I say. Apart from say something like Vera Drake, yeah, where there, we we know that that has got a very specific plot line. But life is sweet, happy go lucky, naked. They're just everyday stories, sort of set over literally probably only a couple of days in most of these cases. You know, yeah. these films don't tend to be a story of the life of somebody. It's more sort of a day in the life of somebody. Yeah, it's yeah, it's it's almost a day in the life, it, although it's, you know, it's usually half a week in the life of, yeah. but it is basically. Uh, my my first um my, my first 
discovery, you know, awareness of Mike Lee was having, well, it wasn't even awareness then, to be honest, was Abigail's party. I think which mine was, is, yeah. is, Isn't even, a, you know, I didn't even cotton on when I saw my first actual Mike Lee film that it, that, it was the same person that no. had done it, but I realised afterwards and could see. But Abigail's party, look at that. That's, you know, that's, something that's that an hour. television. Yeah. And that, yeah, that's and just, you know, uh, uh, an evening in the life of... Shot in, shot uh, in real really. time, isn't it, really? I think yeah. It's, it's all... Yeah, yeah, effectively, yeah. And that's 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 the beauty of these things it's it's there's not the um the wide um timescape of things going on you don't have cutting to six months later or to um you know number of years later and things you don't have have to piece it together like that mm. it just is the yeah. day the day after the day after that sort of thing and and it just starts without any any kind of incident and finishes about <laughs> any kind of incident. They just, just finish, don't they? That's yeah, the thing. Yeah. Mike Lee films just, oh, okay. We're never going to know what happens to most of these characters in most of these movies. We never yeah. know. Um, it just happens. Yeah but, just, yeah. but we know what goes on for these 48 hours or whatever it may be. <laughs> and we know quite intimately what goes on because... <sighs> We've got three families. Let's let's go into this plot to try and explain to people because, you know, I don't want people to yeah. be put off saying, you know, we're saying that this is a movie that's got nothing nothing going on. It's It's got so much going on, but as we said, yeah. it's hard to, to piece it together in a, in a way that makes it sellable to somebody. Picture three families, sort of interlinked, and we've got Phil Davis and Ruth Sheen, Cyril and Shirley. Now... Both working class, around the King's Cross area, London. He's a motorcycle courier. She works for the council as a gardener, I believe. Yeah, yeah, she's a yeah gardener for the council. Yeah, he's got his Marxist beliefs, but doesn't really act on them so much, does he? To be honest, he's, he, he's... no, he's not not even in a union. That's <laughs> fair to say. So. And so you think, okay, this is the soap opera side of things that we were talking about. It's an everyday story about two fairly everyday people. Who were, you know, she's wanting a baby, he's not wanting one, and there's that that goes on, but they're, they're trundling along day after day, just in their life where they sit around talking about things, they have gentle pursuits of just like, you know, watching the world go by, smoking, smoking, dope a, bit of, and, smoking a bit of dope, you growing, know, growing uh, listening to some music and just growing cactuses, yeah. Um, yeah. And, and you say about the. Ruth Sheen, she she would like to to have children. The Phil Davis character doesn't. Does is is it Phil Davis doesn't want to bring children into this mad and crazy world, or is it just that? It's yeah, it's overpopulated, and um, because of you know capitalism and etc., that it's an exploitative world, and it doesn't feel the need to to burden um, anybody with that existence. So he decides to that it's not something he wants to do. Um, yeah. She sees it more from the point of view that she she wants she wants a child she wants to be a mother yeah and that you know politics aside that's just what she wants to do um mm. she gets the opportunity to do a bit of mothering because of the the man child that shows up on their doorstep <laughs> lost um who's um a, a slightly simple um adult who who needs to be uh taken by the hand and looked after um for a day or two yeah. but Essentially, yeah, they're 
this is this working class couple who are just existing and haven't got much at all. No, they're not but, particularly uh, well off happy. considering they're both, you know, they're both working full time, but they're living in a flat where they're having to sleep on the floor in a separate, in a, in a different room, not in the bedroom because it's warmer there. You know, they yeah, can't they, afford so they, to... they sleep in the living room because that's where the heat, all the heat is. So they only have to warm up one room in the house, yeah. basically. Um, but then that's the, the perils of living in, you know, central London by King's Cross. That's how much rents and things are. So, yeah, you can oh, imagine... they won't be able to do it now. No, 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 especially exactly where that flat is. You know, that's right by St Pancras Station or the new sort of St Pancras King's Cross part of the development. I don't yeah. think that flat actually exists, to be honest. Probably right. not, no. Yeah. And... As you say, the story opens up with the appearance of Wayne, played superbly by Jason Watkins. Yeah. And at first, you don't sort of get any inkling that there is any sort of issue with him. But then as the conversation goes on, you think, oh, wow, this, this guy has got some real sort of serious learning difficulties here. But how is it that... that Shirley describes him? I can't remember what she says, something about being a thicko or something, isn't it? So, something along those lines, yeah. It you know it avoids using any um, you know derogatory terms, as, you know that are no longer PC, um, but it doesn't even use them then. But yeah. it is it is that he's you know he is what we would now call developmentally challenged, something like uh, that. Exactly. Um, but yeah, and she you know she has the opportunity, and she she sees the funny side of it as far as needing to to make sure he. he um, has something to eat and has somewhere to sleep and washes his hands after he's gone to the toilet and yeah. just sees the funny side of it and um, you know obviously they're, they're happy to wave him off when he when he leaves <laughs> um, but yeah they're just they've got very little and they just take him in but out of yeah. out of kindness and that's that's kind of indicative I think it's a you know a message being put across as opposed to what happens when his mother needs somebody to take her in, um, it's a completely different attitude, isn't it? I suppose exactly. that's the that's the juxtaposition that they're telling in this story. Yeah, and the bizarre thing, but it's also quite typical for Mike Lee, is that apart from a brief reappearance by Wayne, sort of twenty minutes, half an hour later, when he comes back the following day, we never see this character again. He's he's not part of the story anymore. He he actually isn't part of the development of the story. What story there is, he has no part to play. Apart from the fact that you say it probably highlights Shirley's mothering instinct, yeah, and and looking after somebody, but yeah, the characters come in and go out. Yeah, of, of I think there is the element to... where it just opposes what what happens elsewhere with with sort of looking after your your fellow man in a way, but um and and in comparison to how much you've got to use to look after them as well. But yeah, it, you know, there, there's. Uh, you look at the Wayne's character mm. and this, what his story is about, and it's it's not developed what what is actually there, even though it's mentioned the fact that his mother has sent him to go and live with his sister, and his <laughs> and his sister doesn't seem to be there yet. He can't go home, and yet this was all arranged by the telephone, even though they haven't got a telephone yep. um, at home. So how <laughs> was it arranged? So it seems like it seems like the mother's just decided to just get rid, yeah, um, and send him off on a you know she's probably she's probably moved out or changed the locks when by, by the, the time, time he does get home, yeah. Um, <laughs> so, but that's that's that could be that could be a substantial plot point itself that's, in another film, but in a Mike Lee film, no, it's yeah. just. There and gone. 
But also, if, if we were to see what was going on, that's a completely different Mike Lee film on its own. Could you imagine if we had like the story of Wayne as another 90-minute... Yeah. You know, that would be great, because I could imagine Mike Lee actually scripting something like that. You know, this is of, Wayne's of, story. Of him wandering the streets, yeah. speaking to to homeless people and to, to random strangers and to um, groups of youths and yep. all this kind of stuff. I mean, that, you know, a little bit of that is kind of seen out in um, Naked. Yes. One of his later films yeah. uh, where, you know, he's out on the street and he's speaking to random people. But uh, effectively, yeah, it could be an entire film on its own that, but it's not. It's something that just appears, disappears, <laughs> and that's it. It's not, you know, there's no... No comeback on it. There's no, no follow-up. No. It's just gone. It's typical Mike Lee, pretty yeah. much. So we move on, and there are no bad performances in this movie whatsoever, but for me there are two outstanding ones. One is Phil Davis, and the other is Edna Dore playing the mum. I was gonna. I was hoping that was really the second one. Yeah. Um, yeah, she, I think, um, has the less um, in-your-face performance yeah um it's all so that she's the subtleties when she's surrounded by effectively some a bit more caricatured in a sense or, or um characters that are, are being pushed in your face a bit more yep. this is this, you know she's there in the background providing the the subtlety and the just the looks and just the odd the reality just, yeah the reality <laughs> behind it all um and yeah i mean Absolutely, uh, you're completely right. To, although this is a, an ensemble piece, exactly. really. No, there's no it, bad performances. It, but I think it's, that, it still yeah. it still is that um, Phil Davis or, or Philip Davis, as he is actually in the titles, yes, um, is um, is really the the centre point of a, a main character in a way. There's a lot of focus on him, but he's he's again one of these actors that we were talking about previously. That yes, he was in. Quadrophini that we've seen and you know, some other things, but in this he gets to show mm. um, the strength of his um, talent. Really, um, I say I've got a, a, a quote from uh, Mike Lee talking about him. Yeah, cool. says, um, mm. He says uh, the fascinating thing about Phil is that we're working together uh, from him being a naughty youth to being a middle-aged man. <laughs> yeah. He's completely rigorous intelligent, rooted, with a sense of the real world. He's up for trying anything, completely creative, and a really nice bloke. The interesting thing about him, however, is that he's an actor of immense scope and versatility, but don't ask him to do an accent. (laughs) (laughs) Do you know what? I've I've seen this about four or five times now, and his performance is so good because it's so non-Phil Davis... The, the Phil Davis we know or the Phil Davis we expect. I watched this film three times before I realised who he actually was. Did you? Yeah, because I didn't. It just didn't click. I just thought that guy with the beard's a great actor. Didn't twig Philip Davis. Ah, that's Philip Davis from Quadrophenia or whatever. It wasn't until about my third viewing that I thought I recognise you, and then I went back and sort of realised that it's the Philip Davis that we know from Quadrophenia and other things. You know, Whitechapel now. You know. Um, well, the beard, the beard is a massive disguise, isn't it? Really, it's, uh, yeah, it, and we can, know it can hide anybody from from being recognisable as the actor to being the character, and so yeah. And I always uh, remember him with that sort of lighter blonde hair, you know. But yeah, you're you, you're right though to 
highlight that it's not just him, it's it's Edna as well. I mean, her performance is, is outstanding. She's one of these that you look back over her film history uh, or her filmography, she's been in lots of TV stuff, you know, Dixon of Doc Green and The Play for Today and all these things going that loads of people have been in for, for decades. But yeah. And this is one of her few films that she did, and I think she was in some soap opera um East Enders, I believe, yeah, yeah, one of those. But but she's just just has that quality to her again as an as an act, actress. Um, the rest as well, absolutely, you're right. But she, those two particularly stand out as being um, just amazing at, at just making you feel the character. Yeah, I mean, we've all all had elderly relatives that have their routines and things like that. And you can see this when the when the couple go over to see her on the Sunday, you know, and it's like, don't leave me a couple of biscuits for me tea, you know, don't take them all. Yeah, yeah um, I better not have a cup of tea now because I'll, I'll, you know, I'll spoil, yeah. spoil my meal later yeah. and all Yeah, it's, and, and that's what it is, yeah. And that's uh, so true to life. Um, and also what's true to life is the environment that she's found herself in where that's been her home, possibly for the last 60 years, for all we know. You know, she might have been born in that house. And at the time, I mean, we're smack bang in the middle of the Thatcher era, aren't we? Well, not in the middle, it's towards the end, really, isn't it? Because yeah. the miners' strike and the Falklands War were sort of four, five, six years previously, but this is coming up to the end of the 80s, and... I found myself remembering phrases that I hadn't thought of for years, like Hooray Henry or Sloan Ranger, you know, not just Yuppie. And that, that was a big thing at the time, that all of these council houses were being bought up, dirt cheap prices, whole areas of not just London, but every major city were being gentrified, but in yeah. particular London, you know. And And the Yuppies were just sort of taking over and whatever sort of history or, you know, family sort of interactions that had gone on previously for generation after generation were just swept away. And she is still stuck in the middle of it. And, and, and you know, the yuppies that have moved in next door mistakenly believe that she owns the house. And he's like, no, it's, it's a council house. <laughs> yeah, probably one of the last ones around there. I mean, you've, yeah. one of the, one of the um, pieces of um, cover... Uh, for the um, for the film yeah. on post posters and things <clears throat> is um, a picture of them them stood in front of those two houses and they've got like a lamp post mm. and it's, it's dividing them directly oh, in half right. and, and, and you can see that what the one house has been tattered up with its window box and, and been repainted and all that kind of stuff and then there's her house which is you know it's got the chip paint and it's a, a darker color and yeah. the, you know there's no lights on inside it and etc and yeah. you know it's as as the the, the fellow who's a neighbor actually says um about you know giving it a lick of paint yeah. to smart it up because it's making their property um you know De- look, look devalue more, it a little bit but, yeah yeah yeah, but as you say, it's an original council house, isn't it? Original doors and windows. And, yeah. And as I say, she's probably lived there. Well, she brought the kids up there as well. You know, it's it's the family home. It's it's, it's a great sort of interaction. I mean, I'd, I sort of stopped you earlier about about talking about caricatures. I, I read some criticism somewhere online that the yuppie couple seemed like cartoon characters and, and caricatured. But then somebody actually responded to that criticism by saying, well, if you don't think these people existed in the 80s, you weren't actually there. Because that, I don't think that it is an exaggeration. There's certain little bits that you'll go, oh, no, that wouldn't happen. 
the essence of those characters, the, the, the slow rangers, the yuppies, whatever they are, they existed. That was real. Yeah, if there was if there was any caricature and an exaggeration, it was by the people at the time to be like that. Mm-hmm. It's not it's not the portrayal of them um, on the screen then or now. It was at the time people did um, get into more of a caricature of themselves and being you know the former um, Oxford Cambridge and such like and the the with their champagne and their you know the their uh, mobile phones which were like bricks and, right, and you yeah. know a Porsche 911 or whatever it was all it, that they were caricatures you know yuppies and that that set of people they were caricatures in existence at the time I mean it's you know a cliche wouldn't be a cliche if it wasn't true and they are <laughs> cliches exactly. uh, but it's based upon what the people were like at the time and we know that having lived through it yeah that there was people like that and even me up here in in York which um maybe a bit more um, cosmopolitan than some of the other areas in Yorkshire um, surrounding it, but still, we recognise those as actual people that existed at the actual time. Yeah, the same so, as we recognise the working class family. You know, they are real, genuine people that we would have encountered at some point. Not necessarily in our everyday lives, but you know, we've, we've, th- this is what's great about a Mike Lee movie. You can see these people and sometimes you think, Oh, I know a family like that. Yeah, you do. Yeah. think I know him? Yeah. Oh, I know her. Oh, yeah. I, you know. Exactly. Um, Sorry, I was just about to say, but saying that, we've got the, th- the third sort of group of people that form this story, which is Phil Daniel's sister and yeah. her husband and their relationship. Now, again, it's a completely different dynamic here because they're sort of somewhere stuck in the middle. All right, they are working class, but the sister has aspirations of being something a bit better, whereas her husband is just... Does he own a... It's a burger bar, isn't it, basically? Like a wimpy or yeah. something, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, that's what it is, yeah. And he's playing away from home, and you know, that obviously that the home life is not the happiest, but it's masked quite well through her spending of money and shopping. And, and I think it's great that we, we, we get three different levels here of of social class, social standing, wealth, and also, and I mean, you are going to pick up on this, and I'm sure you're going to go on to it. It's, it's like we said, it's a slice of life. It's also a slice of Thatcher's Britain in 1988, this whole yeah. 90 minutes here. And I'm sure yeah. you have a lot to say about that side of things. It's it's the class thing. It's the, the, the working class, the the people who are upper, upper middle class who have got the money, and then there's the people that are in between who are, aspiring to be and end up not being either they don't yeah. you know they're they're despised by both sides in a way yeah and but they're they're so shallow that they kind of can accept that the fact that they're being despised by both sides because that's not the most important thing to them the most important thing is um that pretension yeah yeah, it, it almost reminds me of Del Boy a bit. You know, we had these aspirations for a couple of series of being a yuppie. You know, and, well, at heart, he was just a street market trader. And it was probably about the same time this was made. You know, so it was, that was reflecting everyday life in a, in a in a different sort of way. Where does this film stand for you amongst the the, the canon of Mike Lee? I know Naked is your favourite, but yeah, I, mean, um, I think it's probably in the middle. 
Yeah. Um, this uh, obviously, I Naked is my favourite. Secrets and Lies as well is yeah. uh, one that I particularly like. And then there's some of the other ones which um, Topsy Turvy and things like that are, mm. are no ones that didn't gel with me as easy. Yeah. So um, and I think as you, as you say, Vera Drake is it's kind of a different beast. Yeah. So it's difficult. It's difficult to actually put that in as like being a, part was, of the Mike Lee canon. It's like I think Mr. Turner's a completely different yeah. sort of, you know, movie for him. I'm, I've got a confession to make. As big a Mike Lee fan as I am, I haven't seen Topsy Turvy and I haven't seen Secrets and Lies. I fully hold my hands up to that now. But I've pretty much seen most of the others. Um include well i mean i loved the stuff he's doing with sally hawkins and eddie marsden now was just fantastic it was happy go lucky yeah. you know that that yeah. i think is just that's that is what i call traditional mike lee like this life is sweet and, and happy go lucky i think are three similar but different movies you know it's it's just that as we said there's stories that take place over a very short period of time with a plot that you could not describe but at the same time you'll sit and watch it and think well okay that's that's every day storytelling told well yeah it's you know as we keep saying about this that it's you know a snapshot of people's lives for a couple of days or or whatever it things happen and it may not be that you know somebody's having to save the world from aliens invading or things like that but there's there's life there in front of you in in all its colors and complexities and you get to the end of it and you don't feel like you've wasted the time watching no, it, no, no because, matter how familiar it is with you. Yeah, because you haven't got the old, you know, the wham-bam yeah. ending with, like, the yeah. punchline or the, or yeah, the resolution. It's, 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 yeah, it's not setting you up for the expectation of having that. So no. you're not expecting to have to have this this great big conclusion. Now, it might be some people who prefer if there was, you know, some a bit more of a, of a wrapping up at the end of the film. But the... The fact of the matter is that you you feel satisfied because you're seeing what is in in essence something that's familiar, and you're able to go, yeah, that's kind of recognizing yeah. that my real life is is actually real. <laughs> it it doesn't need a resolution because we we you know we'd like to know where these stories progress, but I like the fact that you know it's left to us to to just you know, leave it to our own devices as to where these characters are going to go. But for me, it doesn't need a resolution because there's certain points in this movie that are so subtly done, but are almost like a gut punch to the stomach or it's like, oh, that's a good point of the story here. For example, Edna Dore as mum, just in her confusion, I think, you know, as her dementia's kicking in, where she sort of reminisces about her sister. Yeah, and says yeah. I didn't steal him away from her. Just as a you know, just this little line brought into the conversation, which Phil um, Phil Davis doesn't pick up. Phil yeah, Phil Davis is going to call him Phil Daniels then doesn't pick up on, uh, but Ruth Sheen but, does. But Shirley does, yeah. yeah. And then tries to ask about it, and there's another there's another line thrown in there to give a little bit more, uh, just to to give a little little meat onto it, but not enough to actually give you any real explanation. So you're just left thinking, well, I can I can extrapolate from that a yeah. potential idea of what actually what that was about, but I'm not hundred percent you know, not sure that is what actually was happening. Mm-hmm. And that that's the beauty of this. There's all there's 
that's what happens in real life. People say things, something else happens of somebody else walking into the room saying something, the phone ringing or, or, or something else gets said. And that's never returned to. And you let you, you know, if you remember it at a later date, you'll think, what was that about? Yeah. What, 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 what did that mean? Especially but, watching it this time round, because you could quite easily miss this on your first viewing. You just think, oh, it's just a conversation they're having in the kitchen or whatever. But it's just like, as I say, because there isn't like a grand explosion finale, it's the little bits like that throughout the film that, you know, make up for that sort of thing. It's just like, oh, that's a bloody great part of this movie. And and you know what? Some of it might not even have been scripted, as we've said previously. Just those little, especially the reactions. That line may have been scripted that she's been told to say that. But then when you get that natural reaction from Ruth Sheen and, and you know, from Phil Davis saying, what did she say? Did, what was all that about? You know, that's, that is perfectly how somebody would react yeah. to a little revelation like that. Let's talk about, we haven't really spoke about Valerie uh, and Martin. Uh, Valerie is Phil Davis's sister who <laughs> has these uh, delusions of grandeur and these aspirations, as we say, swigging champagne in the bath and, at the time this was made, I think Alison Steadman was heavily pregnant. Could you have right. seen that role going to her, Valerie? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Completely. Yeah. That you know, almost, almost, you know, almost was somebody um, doing Alison Steadman. It, it looks uh, as if for, that was probably written. Yeah. yeah. It, um, <laughs> it looks as if it was written for her. Yeah. You could just see Alison Steadman playing that role. That's very sort of Abigail. Very sort of Abigail yeah. from Abigail's party as well. Interesting dynamic, you know. They've got money because the you know the the business of the of the cafe that the husband's running, and and the wife is doing her best to spend as much money that he earns as quickly as possible. And this whole thing about you know trying not to get involved with any of her mother's problems as best she can, or the the, the bit that highlighted it for me the most was she turns up with mum's Christmas present and she goes, well, it's February. And she says, yeah. well, you didn't want to come over at Christmas, so here it is now, you know. Oh, my God, there are... I recognise people like that. That, yeah. that. that does exist. And that that's and that's true. I mean, yeah, her character's um, modus operandi is to be focused on actually showing what wealth she does have and what culture... Yeah. For want of a better phrase, that she has as far as having the the Doric columns on, fake Doric <laughs> columns on the front of the, the house, and um, you know those kind of things, and you could you know you can imagine her um, telling all her friends you know straight away as soon as they'd got a a, a video and yeah. such like, and her making a thing about having a mini display or whatever, and yeah. and about having a holiday and I don't know. Well, it would, um, what would it be then? I don't know, Greece or somewhere back then, wouldn't it? I'd have thought. Or... Don't know. It might even have been Lanzarote, but Lanzarote when, when it was yeah. seen as a bit more kudos. <laughs> but there was that. That's and that's you know, say, you know, they have a, a family party and she's 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 dressed up like she's you know going to be meeting the queen. That's exactly what I was thinking. Yeah, and, the hat in the uh, house. Yeah. yeah, everybody else is in you know <laughs> jeans and and whatever. Yeah, and it's, yeah. We've we've seen these characters a thousand times in real life, and we know these relationships exist. We know that there are certain families. It happens in my family where some are better off than others, you know. And and you've got 
certain sections of a family that earn more money than other sections of the family and you get these clashes between them but you also get the the same sort of family obligations you know the same you know at the end of the day mum is still alive she's still your mother we make time to see her on a Sunday you're not making time to see her on a Sunday because you're busy living your life we both really don't want to do it but somebody's got to because the poor woman is getting older she's getting more and more ill and you know it's just something that I'm fully aware of in real life, this whole thing. Oh, absolutely, yeah. There's the perspective that despite the fact that, you know, they the make the comment uh, Cyril and Shirley about going to see her and, and things like this and make a little bit of a light-hearted joke out of it, they still are, are doing that and they're going around there and they're trying to actually make something of it. They're yeah. trying to, you know, they're, they're making making a joke with her about yeah. her falling asleep and saying she's been asleep for hours when it's been yeah. that she's knocked it off yeah, for two I, minutes. I used to do that to my mum. Yeah, <laughs> and, and, you know, and it's probably, maybe it was something that that you feel there might have been more interactive humour between the, the two when she wasn't slipping into dementia, but now she's actually starting to not be able to see these things as funny. She's actually thinking that somebody's accusing her of, of, of losing her marbles. Yeah. But they're making the effort. They're trying to actually be there for her. And you can see at the end of the film, you know, there's, there's more of that. But whereas it's it's something that, yes, they the feel like they the need to do, but they don't begrudge it in the same way that the sister, yeah. it's, it's beneath her to yeah. be able to go and do that. Even in, in a time of need with the keys, it's beneath her to actually even, you know, sort of what do you want me to do about it mm. situation, which is, is, you know, it just shows the selfishness and that what that aspiration is causing as far as, as you say, with the whole factor out thing and, and everything. It, it's that aspiration which is causing the selfishness, which means that she's not actually seeing, you know, seeing her mother as an embarrassment rather than anything else. Yeah, I think Cyril and, and Shirley are the most genuine, the most authentic portrayal of the couple we see throughout the movie and it's interesting that we said this this whole thing takes place over what two days three days at the most yeah and whether it's the script writing the acting the direction whatever it is just so effective that you see in such a short space of time how those two characters developed from what you say the sort of the matter of fact attitude towards mum you know it's our duty to go and see mum on a sunday and we do have a little bit of a laugh at her expense but at the end scene where they're on the roof and they realise that, you know, she is getting older. She's not going to, you know, be around here forever. She's very ill now. That The characters change over the course of 90 minutes really effectively. And and I think fair play to Ruth Sheen and, and Phil Davis because I, I don't think without their improvisation, without, I think you could see the genuine relation. You could believe they're a couple. You could believe them two are married quite yeah. easily. And, and oh, they're not. Oh, they're not married though, because that's what Martin, the, the brother-in-law, says. Says if you know, if you two get married, we'll be related. And he's, uh, you know, obviously trying to crack onto her. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it, it is. But they are effectively married. Yeah. Um, and absolutely, the their their lives are intertwined, intertwined and won't ever stop being so. I mean, you know, piece of paper makes no difference. They are together. They they are interlinked. They couldn't survive without each other, really. Um, you know that that's how embedded they are with each other. Yeah. They understand what it's like to have that trust and um, 
involvement with another human being to that level, they that's just how they are as people. They they feel that. Whereas there's not that with the the sister and her husband. I mean, because they despise each other. Yeah. Um, it's it's uh, you know. I, I actually had to take it back and watch it again the bit where you know in the, in, in the the house when the the uh, the brother-in-law he goes to go and get the beers off the table and she goes to stand in his way saying that they should be having champagne and he just takes her by the shoulders and just throws her onto yeah. the sofa yeah. and she just bounces off the back. you know it's it's hilarious to watch but it's that's just like just realism it's yeah. it's you know the 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 feelings they have for each other is not even veiled contempt really and it's complete juxtaposition to what it's like with the Cyril and Shirley character where it's they they don't need anything apart from each other no this is the thing and (laughs) with with the sister's husband as well he's he's got the the younger girlfriend and his relationship with her is is just as poor as the relationship he's got with his wife. You know, he's, he's the unluckiest man in the world. His mistress is probably just as bad as his wife. You know, nothing seems to be working for him at all. This is quite interesting because this is 1988. And I'm just looking at Mike Lee's filmography. And the next one we're probably going to cover when we, you know, work our way through the Mike Lee canon. His life is sweet. Yes. Which is 1990. Now, in my mind, I thought there was two or three in between these. I keep thinking this is a very early one. Life is Sweet was sort of mid to late 90s, and we're going to have a couple more in between. So this is going to be quite interesting that when we get to Life is Sweet, it's a similar sort of thing because that is set over the course of a week, but it's one particular family, and there's a couple of external characters that come in i.e. Timothy Spall is the main one that I can think of, and uh, David Fulis. But it's a completely different beast as well. And you can see that uh, the progression, I think, in the space of the next two years, I want to try and get Secrets and Lies in quite quickly at some point this year to review, because um, we're reviewing them chronologically, as we say, because it's, it's a nice way of seeing a way that a director develops and progresses as, as their you know their film making career goes on there's that but there's also with Mike Lee films with a few exceptions like you say Mr Turner and, and Vera Drake and stuff mm. but that they the thing with the Mike, Mike Lee films is they're usually set in in contemporary yes so what's what he, the film he does in in 1988 will be about life in 1988 the yeah. one that he does it two years later in 1990 will be about how it is there and obviously yeah. Politically and societally and economically, um, the UK has changed over the last 20 or 30 years. And there's been, uh, within a space of a couple of years, there's been some um, quite pronounced changes at po- different points. Oh, right. And, yeah, that, yeah. and, and that, that will actually be shown in watching a, a film two years apart, the actual characters he's focusing on as, an, as, as a kind of... As an example, or, or as a, a, a device for telling the story of what people's lives are like at that point in time, I think that's why chronologically you need to do it, really, because it just shows where life is at at each of those periods well, in, in time. It's a good reflection of what's going on in the country, as you say, because you wait till we get to Naked, 1993. Thatcher would have been out by two years at this point. Still got a Tory government, but Naked is... <laughs> 
I only ever watched Naked once, and this is where I was getting confused because I thought Naked came after this one, and then it was Life Is Sweet. And I mean, your love for Naked—you've you've told this several times how much you love that film, but I'd never got on with it that first viewing. So I'm thinking now I'm watching them in order. Naked is going to be a bit more enjoyable. It's going to make a bit more sense to me, and I think I'm going to get a lot more from it when we get to that. Um, yeah, I understand that perfectly because I I watched Naked first, which is perhaps one of the reasons why it's my favourite because that yeah. often happens, as we know, with with other things. Um, but subsequent watches of it, having seen the films that came before and then the films after, yep. it 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 had a place in like a chronological um, set. Yeah, and and I think that that adds to it. And that's why it's useful to watch in order. And, and I can understand what you were saying there. That that just makes sense. Okay, so yeah. you know, we'll 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 happily you know put more Mike Lee films in and get to um, Secret and Lies, and especially since you, you say you hadn't seen it. Yeah, that, and yeah. I'm just looking through. I mean, the order they're going to go in, obviously, is going to be Life is Sweet, Naked, Secrets and Lies, which I haven't seen. I'm sure I've seen Career Girls. I'm sure I've seen that one. Topsy Turvy, I haven't seen. I don't know what's All or Nothing. Have you seen All or Nothing from two thousand two? Um, I haven't seen All or Nothing, and I don't think I've seen um, from two thousand and ten another year. No. Um, but I then all think. the others I've seen: Vera Drake, Happy Go Lucky, Mister Turner, and I've got a copy of Peter Lou actually to watch. So yeah. I haven't caught that yet. So yeah. I'm, I'm reading the book. So I'm, I'm two thirds of the way through the book that it's actually <laughs> partly used to base it on. So it's, um, um, it's going to be right up your alley, that one, oh, sir, isn't yeah. it? That's got your name written all over it. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm quite yeah. surprised, actually. This is his first film since Mr. Turner. I thought there might have been something in between. But obviously, the scale of Peter Lou is, is probably the biggest. Yeah, grandest production he's done so far. Historic, all right, it's, it's historical like Mister Turner probably was, but and, and Topsy Turvy. But this one is is you know this is your big epic. So I'm looking forward to that. And also, I think he was wanting to um, Peter Lou. Mm. Um, it's it's obviously the 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 release was tied into the anniversary as well. So I think he had ah. in his mind that he wanted to get it done right. for that for that time. But um, but yeah, doing doing them order, and there'll be some that um, we won't have previously seen. One of us, um, I think, I think for every one of them that there is, at least one of us will have seen, yeah. if not both. But yeah. yeah, we can. It won't it won't be too much of a of a jump to actually make it to Secrets and Lies before the end of the year. I'm sure. Oh, of course, uh, but we've only got a couple. And, to uh, go. and I'm 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 pretty damn sure that you'll uh, you'll enjoy Secrets and Lies. Um, is one of his. I can recognise that in some ways it's 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 better than High Hopes and better than Naked. Excellent. It's well, I'm tempted to watch it now, sort of like in the next couple of days. And yeah, then go I'll quite for it and then watch go it, back. You know, yeah, just... um, and also like when we get to Peterloo, which we eventually will, yeah. perhaps we could go back. And um, we were talking about this sort of off air about how Abigail's Party and Nuts in May would BBC, you know, play for today type productions. But you know what? Just for the sake of completionism, let's just uh, perhaps it will have a little look at those as well because they are certainly worth talking about. This is probably why I didn't like Naked so much because I was so used to the Alison Steadman of of Nuts in May and Abigail's Party and that style of of Mike Lee. 
you know, very, very light-hearted, where Naked is very... Is, 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 oh, oh, is Naked yeah. his darkest movie? I think it is. Uh, yeah, apart, yes. Apart yeah. from, obviously, what goes on in Vera Drake, you know, which is very dark. We're going to rattle through these, I think, because it's going to be a case of, oh, I've watched that one. I want to watch another one very quickly. Uh, yeah, I had a feeling when we started doing this, and I knew I wanted to do some Mike Lee at some point, I think we discussed it even. Yeah. But I had a, I sort of had this feeling that we needed to get some other things in first because otherwise it, it, <laughs> it, we'd be wanting, and I would want in especially, mm. would be wanting to sort of cram them in yeah. um, a bit a bit more frequently and there wouldn't have been, it would have been like, oh, he's only come on to do Mike <laughs> Lee films. And, you know, <laughs> every other show, film he's yeah. doing is Mike Lee or whatever. <laughs> I mean, I... You know, fortunately, Mike Lee is, is only got like a dozen films anyway. Yeah. So, um, so it's not like it's sort of um, that he's got a back catalogue of thirty or forty films. So, um, we you know, we've no need to rush through its entirety because we can make it last. But um, I'm very glad that you know you want to be doing the the rest of them sooner rather than later. Oh yes, um, for me. Well, the, similar to you, you say this sort of falls round about the middle of his work for you, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm going to say probably about the same. Because I've got, you know, a couple of others that I do prefer to this, but at the same time, it's still a four-star movie for me out of five. And having not watched it, oh, probably for a good six, seven years when I watched it last night, I saw a lot more in it, again, little bits and pieces, like say that, that sort of line that Edna Dore says that... Well, not so much the line, the reactions from the other from the other cast, you know. And I was just watching it subtly, you know, the subtle things that that was improvised, that wasn't scripted. That is such a natural reaction. That is a bloody good way of making a movie, you know. And and I just got totally lost in it in in somebody else's life again for ninety minutes. You do absolutely. It's it's this snapshot of of real life, and um, yeah, I haven't seen it for probably. Probably longer than since you've uh, wow, maybe okay. maybe six years since I've seen it. Yeah. Still, you know, it, it, uh, I, there was bits I'd forgotten. Yeah. To be perfectly honest, yeah. obviously over that time, but it came flooding back to me, and and I, I did remember it as being something I had affection for. That affection hasn't you know hasn't waned at all. I don't, and as you say, you, you notice bits that either I've forgotten that I noticed before or I didn't notice before, and I think it's probably more the latter. Yeah, and in, in your rating system, it's not a movie, I'm assuming, that you have to see on a big screen. This no, is... no, this is... Because it, it, it is, you know, in the sense, a bit soap opery and the, the, the scale. Yeah. It's, peop- it's people in living rooms. It's people, you know, that that's that's where we're looking at here. It's not people you need to see the... the the landscape of, of the film. Yep. It's it's the performances. And when it comes down to the performances, you can watch that on a smaller screen because I, yeah. the, that's what the focus is, is narrowed anyway. Even though it's a uh, cinema production, I think this is probably better suited to a smaller screen. I think this is better suited to sitting in the armchair and watching indoors in your own living room, watching somebody else's living room. I, I, I think, yeah, you're quite right. I think, I think you've got a very good point there, yeah. The, you, the environment that you're sat in mm. um, will help you be drawn in I think so. to, to it. So I think you're right there. Yeah. I'd recommend people to look it out and give it a go, um, unless they're really turned off by the subject matter as always, you know, but I would, I would think, you know, people should give it a go. It's not, it might come across as being 
um, dour and depression and yeah. all these other kind of things that Mike Lee is sometimes labelled with. But it's it's not. It's it's got some light-hearted dark comedy bits in it. Um, yeah. that, but it's just life. It's not it's not depressing. It doesn't end up being that you know masses of people are dying. In fact, nobody dies in it. No. Nope. Um, so you know, you, it's just. It's just that snapshot of, of life, and in some ways, it's comforting to know that that life is happening the same on screen as it does actually happening around us. Exactly, and as we said, faultless performances by all involved, I think. <sighs> and yeah, however the script was written, conceived, and and developed, it's perfect. It works. It, yeah, it yeah, just it works. absolutely works. Okay, let's take a short break, and we'll be back with what we're watching next time. Okay, Stephen, next time it's my selection of movie. Little bit of a change of genre. IMDb lists this as comedy, drama, romance. I think it's quite light-hearted. We're going smack back to the middle of Swinging 60s, Swinging 60s London, 1966. So we're talking, you know, England World Cup, Alfie, Rolling Stones, Beatles, that sort of thing. Yeah. Featuring an actor that, you're going to have to correct me on this, I don't think we've come across him yet on Real Britannia, James Mason. We haven't. No, No, we haven't come across James Mason before. Okay. Also, I think it's our first movie featuring Alan Bates, which is surprising considering the amount of movies that man has made or had made. And also a member of the Redgrave dynasty that we haven't come across yet, which is Lynn Redgrave. Oh, right, yes. Okay, no more clues. I'll tell you exactly what it is. We're going to 1966, and it's Georgie Girl. I was trying to remember the title. <laughs> um, and, um, yes, so that's good. That, brilliant. Yeah, yeah. Um, for those that don't know, I'll read the synopsis now. A homely but vivacious young woman dodges the amorous attentions of her father's middle-aged employer, while striving to capture some of the glamorous life of her swinging London roommate, which I think might be Charlotte Rampling, if I remember rightly. Not to, it is Charlotte Rampling. Bill Owen is in it as well. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, a little bit of a change of pace. My favourite era, or one of my favourite eras for British movies. Haven't seen this for a long time. Bought the special edition Blu-ray the other day, so I was saving it to review. So... Looking forward to that one. Have you seen it? I, I'm not sure I have. I, I think it might be one of those that I've seen part of at some yeah. point. Yeah. I'm, I'm definite I haven't seen the it's in its entirety. It's, um, yeah. So that'll be useful to, to watch. I'm glad you said I was when you were saying what it was, and I, I did. I'm actually aware of it, mm. but I was I I couldn't remember the title of it because all I could get in my head was Gregory's Girl. And Gregory's I was thinking Girl. It's, it's, it's like Gregory's Girl, but it's not called Gregory's Girl. <laughs> and so I'm glad. Um, but, Almost an anagram, yeah. Yeah. So, it's, uh, so yeah, I mean, as you said, the the names that are in this um, speak for themselves in a lot of ways. That's most but of the, the movies do. We'll, um, yeah. we'll, we'll get a, a, I think we'll get a good 
review out of this. Um, definitely, definitely need to talk about James Mason, you know, because he, he just plays from sort of upper class butlers and, and, you know, snooty characters to northern working class fathers. That man covered the whole gamut, I think, of of middle-aged British characters in, in movies throughout the 50s and the 60s, right through to when he died, early 80s, I think it was. Uh, and again, it's one of the Redgraves we haven't come across, which would be interesting, which is, you know, Lynn Redgrave didn't make as many movies or is not as famous as, as Michael and Vanessa and the others, but... No, absolutely. She was yeah. one of you know. She was. I think she was more. Um, she was more for one for creating future stars rather exactly, than star yeah. herself. Yeah. yeah, and and this made a star of her. The the theme tune is probably more famous than the film. But yeah, it's it, it's it's something that I wanted to go back to, and because I bought the Blu-ray, could be a perfect opportunity to watch it. So, Georgie Girl, next time. Yeah. Stephen, thank you for starting off the run of Mike Lee's. Um, I think, as you say, we might rattle through these a bit quicker than we anticipated because I'm probably going to watch Secrets and Lies to cheer me up on this Sunday afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> um, actually, I think Topsy Turvy is probably more of a Sunday afternoon one or the. the Secrets of yeah. lies, to be honest. Well, well, naked definitely isn't. No, no, I don't. I don't know when you could recommend to watch that to anybody, to be honest. So, um, but it is your favourite. Thank you for being there today, sir. Pleasure as always. No, it's my pleasure. I appreciate um, it. On, and we will see you very, very soon. Okay, take care. Cheers, mate. Bye bye. Positive shah. Bon voyage. Good luck. Thank you. Hand up, sir.